Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, the show continues. We move on to University of Miami basketball now. Canes at home on Saturday against Notre Dame beginning conference play. 12 o'clock, kick, uh, 12 o'clock tip-off. At the Wasco Center, we'll be on the air at 12 uh, here on WQAM with all the action. Hope to see you at the Wasco Center. Hope it's a sold-out 12 o'clock game for Miami and Notre Dame, and I'm sure Coach Larinaga does as well. Coach L, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, Joe. How about you? Got home late uh, last night, didn't we? Yep, yep. I pulled into my driveway at about, I think, 3 a.m. Yeah, uh, I... I I try to close my eyes about that time, but I had a hard time getting to sleep. Well, that that would be understandable. You know, the first 20 minutes I thought was like an Elite Eight game. That was a very good game for the first 20 minutes. You had the lead with 90 seconds to go in the first half, and then the the last 90 seconds of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half, uh, things got sideways. But for the first 19 minutes, that was a heck of a game. Well, it it was really strange. I I never felt like we were ever in sync yeah. from the opening tip off where where we took the lead. Wuga Papa came out scoring. Norshad came out scoring, but but uh, we never really uh, defended the way we wanted to. In the game plan, Joe was we wanted to trap their ball screens and see how they they would react to it. We never could do it because. We were in foul trouble almost immediately. And uh, we ended up with Norshad O'Meara only playing eight minutes in the first half. And Densley Joseph, who's a real catalyst for us, he only played six minutes in the first half. So we thought at halftime, okay, we've, we've gotten through the worst part. And then all of a sudden we came out and they just took it to us in the started the second half and got ahead by a dozen right away, and we never recovered. Um, how hard was it for you? And that was my big fear. I thought, uh, my own vision of the game, I thought the guy that could tilt it in your direction was going to be Norchad, especially if he was in the game uh, the entire game. And I thought in the final five minutes, uh, he maybe would be able to impose his will on on Kentucky, but he was out four minutes into the game. And as you mentioned, Bensley, uh, he's out. So at one point you were playing with all of your young players and still trying to make a, a, I think it was an 18 to three run, but how hard was that to alter 
your your plans? Yeah, uh, well, he, he, here's the thing. At halftime, uh, even though we were down five, we had the lead for nine minutes and 58 seconds, one minute more than Kentucky. Yeah. But it didn't feel like that. Right. It felt like that Kentucky had the lead the whole first half. And and you could see in our players' faces that we we were not sharing the ball like we normally do. And that continued in the second half. We only ended up the game with eight assists, whereas Kentucky had 26 assists. Had we gotten our average 16 assists, that would have been at least 16 or 18 more points, and then it would have been a, a close game. But we needed to share the ball more and turn the ball over less. We only had eight assists and 15 turnovers. It needed to be the opposite. Right. Uh, the guy that was uh, the X factor was Reed Shepard. He played out of his mind 21 points, four assists. But I thought equally as important uh, as his points, probably he was listed as three steals, but it felt like he was playing with five hands. It felt like every time Miami got close to him, he poked the ball free. Yeah, I think Reed Shepard is a, a little different kind of player these days. He doesn't look like a great athlete, but he is. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a, a, a killer competitor, but he is. And, and he has found a way to, to not only play well himself, which is obviously good, but how well he's able to help his teammates play even better than, than normal. Can you hear me, Joe? I can hear you, yep. Uh-huh. So you have two freshmen, Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham, who don't start, who come in off the bench, and Kentucky actually improves, despite the fact that their starting backcourt are two great players in D.J. Wagner and Antonio Reeves. Right. So when they go to their bench, they improve. Their starting five is tremendous. And then they go to their bench and they get better. So you ask, well, how come they lost to, to Kansas, you know, uh, 10 days ago? Well, the answer to that is two great teams going at each other. Kentucky did a great job, had a lead, a, a strong portion of that game. But a little bit of their youthfulness showed in that game. At home, with 23,000 Kentucky fans cheering for them, there was no let up. They, they, they played uh, with a tremendous amount of confidence, and every time they went on a run, the crowd just cheered them on. So we learned a lot about ourselves. We've had to do that just about every late November or early December game. Two years ago, it was Alabama crushed us by 32. Last year, it was Maryland who handled us from start to finish. Uh, and that was the same as, as last night. We, we've got to improve, Joe. We've got to improve right. our defense and our rebounding, and we've got to go back to sharing the ball. I have uh, two, two questions on, re, on your review. Um, first one would be this. I look at the numbers, and Mike Nwoko played 
18 minutes. Keyshawn George played 22 minutes. Christian Watson played 15 minutes. Uh, you're going to need those players. How beneficial was that for them to be out in that kind of environment and to play uh, those kind of minutes? Well, you know, uh, in ACC play, it's going to be the same thing. When we go to right. Duke, the crowd will go crazy, go to Carolina, uh, Syracuse, Louisville, Virginia. I mean, all these teams have great home court advantages, and hopefully our fans will come and cheer us on and create that uh, home court advantage for us this Saturday at noon versus Notre Dame. It'd be great to have a great crowd and them help us get a, off to a 1-0 and start against uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yeah, I sense that, that we're going uh, gonna to have a good crowd. Um, in film review in a game like this, what is your approach to the film review? Do you, do, do you watch the entire game with the players, or do you just cut it up, or do you just move on? Oh, well, we never watch the whole game, so mm-hmm. that, that will not be an option. What we'll do is highlight certain things offensively and defensively, and then we will really move forward. Once, once we, we, we've covered you know, the previous game, we don't dwell on the past. We try to move forward, turn the page, and get ready for the next one. Because, I mean, we did not, after we, after we played uh, Georgia and Kansas State in Bahamas, we won both those games played very well, and uh, once that game is over, we reviewed the games briefly, but we, we moved on and tried to get ready for Kentucky. And the thing about our preparation for Kentucky, which you know, is going to be a, a major topic of conversation tomorrow with the players, is our second unit really practiced well leading up to Kentucky, but our starters did not. Our starters were not as sharp as they had been in the five previous games. And it showed. It showed in practice, and then it showed last night. So we got to get back to work, Joe. I mean, and, and by that, I mean, we've got to understand what happened in last night's game and how we can prevent it from happening again and improve our defense, our rebounding, and our offensive ability to get assists. Uh, conference play does start on Saturday. Notre Dame comes in. Uh, they got beat last night. They're three and three. They've got, they have a new head coach. Um, I, I don't know if you have even had a chance to spend much time on, on Notre Dame, but, uh, the head coach was at Penn state. Uh, we played Penn state a couple years ago. And if I remember correctly, he, uh, puts together a lot of offensive sets. <laughs> That's an understatement. Now, <laughs> Mike Ishimori new head coach at Notre Dame. And he was an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics uh, for Brad Stevens. And the guy he sat next to on the bench was my son, Jay. Huh. So Jay, my son, and Michael Shrewsbury are very, very close friends. And Michael left the NBA to become an assistant at Purdue for Matt Painter. Then from an assistant at Purdue to the head coach of Penn State, where the first guy he hired was my assistant, Adam Fisher, based on the recommendation from my son, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Micah called Jay and said, hey, I'm looking for a really good assistant who has some familiarity with Penn State and the Philadelphia area where we're going to recruit. And my son said, well, my dad's uh, assistant is Adam Fisher. He went to Penn State. He coached at Villanova. uh, And he was a, a manager on the Penn State basketball team as a student there. So Micah called me, offered Adam Fisher the job. Adam went there for two years and now is the head coach at Temple. So we're very familiar with Micah and his system. And as you said, he runs more offensive sets and orchestrates from the sideline. He's like a show unto himself. If you watch, he's he's actually talking to the players during the offensive set. Hey, move the ball right, move the ball left, you know, whatever they're supposed to do. He's kind of orchestrating. So uh, he's enjoyed uh, a lot of success at Penn State, and now he's in charge of of building the Notre Dame basketball program. He's got a lot of very good freshmen, including his own son. Right. Yeah, his son's on the team. Braden is on the team, a freshman guard. I was going to say um, I don't really recognize uh, any of the players as a holdover from a year ago. Maybe there are. Uh, they're averaging about 66 points a game, but it looks like that roster was uh, overhauled pretty well. Well, one of their freshmen, who's 6'11", his name is Carrie Booth. His father is the general manager, uh, president of the Denver Nuggets. And back in 1992 or three. I recruited Calvin Booth to Bowling Green State University. We worked very hard to get him. His dad was 6'11", 7 feet. And the dad chose Penn State over Bowling Green. He went there, had a heck of a career, got to the NBA, had a heck of a career as an NBA player, then then became an NBA scout and assistant and moved up to administration and now is like the the president of the world champion Denver Nuggets. And his son is very similar. His son signed with Penn State with Micah Shrewsbury and Adam Fisher was the lead assistant to recruit him. And then when Micah switched and went to Notre Dame, several of the players who signed with, with, uh, Penn State switched over to Notre Dame in the spring. Mm-hmm. So uh, Micah Shrewsbury's son, Carrie Booth, uh, uh, several other guys were Penn State recruits and now now are now Notre Dame players. Uh, I do want to ask you about the uh, ACC-SEC challenge and some of the games tonight. Uh, the games are starting at, at uh, coming up in a couple of minutes. And one of the reasons they have an odd starting time is they're replaying the uh, Jim Valvano uh, speech. And it got me, th- got me thinking, uh, in those years when he was head coach at NC State, you were in the ACC. What, what do you remember of Valvano? He was a character, well, right? I, I knew Jim Valvano from the time he was a player at Rutgers. Wow. He's uh, an ex- extremely personable guy incredibly witty, uh, a great storyteller, a terrific coach. He was at, he was at NC state uh, when I was an assistant at Virginia 
And then when I became a head coach at Bowling Green, uh, Coach Valvano came to Toledo, Ohio, about 20 miles north of where my wife and I lived, and uh, he did a uh, speech for the Italian-American Hall of Fame of Toledo. So I went to it to hear, hear him speak, and he was hysterical. He had the crowd eating out of the palm of his hand, telling so many great stories. And afterwards, I invited him to the house to, to come and visit with me and my family and, and exchange stories because I was a, a young uh, head coach and Jimmy Valvano was a very experienced head coach. So he came to the house and we stayed up till four o'clock in the morning. And he told story after story. He mesmerized my sons. My sons at, at, at that time had to be like uh, 15 and 10. And I let them stay up and listen to the uh, Valvano stories. And he told me at that time uh, that he worked for the uh, Washington Speakers Bureau. During the month of May, he did uh, 25 speaking engagements and got paid $25,000 for each speaking engagement. So he made $625,000 just <laughs> speaking to the corporate world. And I was blown away by that. And so I decided, okay, this Washington Speakers Bureau is supposed to be so good, and I enjoy public speaking. I'll reach out to them. So I did. I wrote them a letter, and I got a nice form letter back, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> and, Joe, I wrote them for 13 straight years. And always got the same form letter. I, I can probably recite it because <laughs> it was the same one. I don't think they changed it. Even even Harry Rhodes, the president of Washington Speakers Bureau, <laughs> he was the one who signed it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then in 2006, uh, I got a phone call uh, from the Washington Speakers Bureau after our George Mason team made the final four. And it was a guy named Michael Minchell, and he was vice president of the Speakers Bureau. And he said to me, hey, would you be interested in working for the Speakers Bureau? And I said, well, Jim Valvano told me about his experience, and yeah, I'd love it. And so I've been with the Washington Speakers Bureau since 2006, all because of Jim Valvano. Oh. Jimmy was a, a terrific coach, terrific speaker to the corporate world. Uh, he was a terrific analyst for ESPN, and he's left an indelible mark on, in college uh, basketball and in cancer research because the V Foundation, uh, headed by Dick Vitale, has raised millions and millions of dollars every year for cancer research to help, help find a cure, especially in children. And it's a fantastic organization. My wife and I often go to their, their gala. We've contributed over the years to their gala and just are, are very, very proud to be associated with that organization. And Jim Valvano's, you know, legacy, you know, he, he passed away a week uh, after my dad did, oh. uh, in April of, 
1993. And that was only a year uh, after he spoke in Toledo. So a year after he spent spent uh, a night at our house, uh, he passed away of, of cancer. So yeah. uh, I don't know if that that's what you were looking for, Joe, yeah. but that's, that's my memories of Jimmy we, V. You always have a great story. My only, my only experience with Jimmy V, Coach, you, you'd appreciate this, is um, the first coach when we brought basketball back was Bill Foster, who, who was from the ACC, Clemson, and I think it was either 86 or 87, we played at Cameron, we played Duke. And uh, the next day, we didn't have charters in those days. We were flying out of Raleigh, but got snowed in, of all places. Snowed in in Raleigh at the Raleigh Airport. Had to go back to the hotel and stay in uh, Raleigh, Durham. And um, Bill Foster called Jim Valvano, and we went to North Carolina State and practiced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey! This is uh, this is a sad memory for me. Something that that uh, I like to forget. But um, in 1983, Jimmy Valvano's NC State team we beat him twice during the regular season, and then had to play him in the championship of the ACC. And uh, they ended up coming from behind and beating us, which. Because they won the ACC tournament, they got the automatic qualifier uh, to the NCAA tournament. They would not have gotten in had they not beaten us. And then they went on not only beating us in the championship of the ACC tournament, but they beat us in in the uh, Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. They beat us twice within two weeks. And and then they went on to win the national championship. That's when they beat so uh, Houston. In Jimmy Valvano's coaching career, I was I was right there for for the best games of of his career, uh, the ACC tournament, the Elite Eight, and then that led to the national championship win over the University of Houston. I had some run. Uh, the SEC has a narrow four three lead over the ACC. And big games still to be played, Tennessee and Carolina, Texas A&M and Virginia. Uh, they're going to go old school, Duke and Arkansas rematch of a, a championship game from the 90s. Florida and Wake Forest, Virginia Tech and Auburn, Georgia and Florida State. Uh, Hugh Durham being honored at Florida State, and Boston College and Vanderbilt. So it's a narrow uh, lead, so very good competition so far. Well, you know, again, uh, our losses, we lost by 25 and NC State lost by 20. That does not look good yeah. for the ACC. And hopefully uh, some of the better teams in our conference will win tonight. Syracuse, you know, had a nice win. Georgia Tech had a great win over uh, Mississippi State. So those are great wins, but we need more of those if we're going to get more than just four or five teams into the big dance in, in March. And we're going to need to bounce back. And we've got some critical games coming up, including this Saturday against Notre Dame. Oh, every ACC game becomes vitally important uh, for the success of this season's team. Yeah, you've had some uh, – it's another big week. Well, Notre Dame is Saturday. And then next week 
Uh, you have a game on Wednesday, and then you're going to go, uh, Hurricanes go to uh, Brooklyn, and you play Colorado, and that's a very good team. They've been ranked. So this has been a very challenging uh, non-conference for you with a conference game mixed in there. Yeah, I think the these uh, games before Christmas, we need to play well. We, we need to play at both ends of the court. We need to be sharp. Um, we need to practice well and prepare well. Uh, and there's going to be adversity. Who knows what will happen? You, know, you don't know if it's if foul troubles or injuries or what have you. In our game against Kentucky, their starting point guard, uh, Dewan Wagner, uh, sprained his ankle and ended up with Reed Shepard getting more playing time because of it, which actually yeah. helped Kentucky. So, you know, we we have to be sharp. And uh, our players, I'll be meeting uh, with the team tomorrow. My coaching staff will be breaking down the tape for the players and then uh, doing our initial uh, preparation for the game against Notre Dame. Was there anything that you took out of that game that was a positive for you? They say, okay, well, uh, in this rubble here, there is something else that we can dig out and pull this little uh, gem out maybe and, and, and use that going forward. Well, there were several things. Uh, first of all, I, I thought the guys off the bench, I mean, they, in the first half, but we went on an 18-2 to two or 18-3 to three run, it was the guys on the bench who had come in to help us. Yeah. No, Keyshawn George and Christian Watson, uh, they were instrumental in that run. Uh, Keyshawn uh, hit a three. He got an assist. Christian Watson hit a, hit a three, played some good defense, got a couple of rebounds. Michael uh, Nuwako, uh came in and, and uh, got a lot of quality playing time. So hopefully the, our bench will be humble and hungry to keep the the, the – uh, improvement going because their practices, the are what we call the orange team. The first unit is the white team, and the second unit is the orange team. Hopefully, the orange team is going to keep up that work in practice and and really give us a helping hand. Yeah, I figured you know for a guy like uh, Christian Watson to hit a three or or Keyshawn, he had a three in that environment, and that might be something that triggers them forward, right? Well, again, your starters, you hope your starters can play 25 to 30 minutes. And you're hoping your subs can play 10 to 15 minutes. And you hope that your bench uh, comes in when you have a lead and is able to at least maintain the lead. Last night they came in when we were down 10 and then went on an 18 to 3 run and got, got us the lead again. So... It's, it's very, very important for all players to understand that no matter what their role, whether they're a starter uh, who scores a lot of points, a starter who doesn't score that much, a sub who's, who's a, 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 a real threat when he comes in, or a sub who's big and supposed to defend and rebound. Uh, whatever your role is, you've got to execute the role, and you've got to execute it with the right attitude. Oh, and last thing. By the way, I just had this conversation also uh, piggybacking off of uh, last night. You and I were talking in the locker room, and uh, and this this I think shows how hard it is to to win 
in college basketball. Uh, but we were looking at the list of players that have played for John Calipari. And it's Bam Adebayo and Devin Booker, Anthony Davis and Darren Fox and Tyler Hero, uh, Tyrese Maxey, Malik Monk, Jamal Murray, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, P.J. Washington. This list goes on and on quickly. Emmanuel quickly plays uh, for the New York Knicks. Julius Randle, who, who plays for the Knicks. This, uh, yeah, that's, immense... They asked me afterwards about John Calipari's coaching because he's made some adjustments and, you know, that that made him a great coach. I said, well, he could choose whatever style of play he wants when you have players of that caliber. <laughs> he probably has legitimately six or seven NBA players on his roster right now. At least six or seven. Joe, he has three seven-footers that haven't played yet because right. of injury. Three well, seven footers, right? And you've gone, you've gone to back to back elite eights. I mean, he has got a wealth of riches. He's got one title, twenty twelve. So um, they've had. Not I'm not saying it's an indictment on him. Just saying that's that's how hard it is. I mean, he's had nothing but NBA players, and it's hard to get through all the way through that tournament to be a champion. And you've gone back to back elite eights yeah. now with end of the final four with Miami. Yeah, he, he, there's a, a good reason he's a Hall of Fame coach and has been in the Hall of Fame for quite some time because he wins. And he wins primarily because he's a heck of a recruiter. He has a lot of talent. And they play a, a, a really fine brand of basketball. Like last night before the game and talking to Jay Billis, he asked me what I thought the, the score would be. Uh, at the end of the game, and I said, I think the first team to 80 will win because I thought we'd be able to keep up the pace. They're averaging 95 points a game. That was a normal game for them, Joe. They scored 95. They're averaging that. We were not as sharp as we've been. We, We scored in the 70s, and we've been averaging in the high 80s. Oh, uh, but John Calipari's a Hall of Fame coach, has done an incredible job, first at UMass, taking them to the Final Four, then Memphis to the Final Four, and now Kentucky. Uh, but the SEC and the ACC are battling right now. I'm getting ready, as soon as I get off the air with you, turning on the TV and doing some scouting in preparation for down the road in January when we'll be facing these teams. Yep, all right. Well, we got a big one coming up on Saturday. Fighting Irish of Notre Dame at the Watsco Center at 12 o'clock. And uh, I know your team would be ready to rebound. Thanks for joining us here on the show tonight. And I'll, I'll see you on uh, Saturday before the game. All right, Joe. Thanks so much. And, yep, I hope we have a sellout crowd on Saturday. All right. That's uh, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. 12 o'clock, Miami and Notre Dame. We'll be on there right at 12 o'clock, right before we tip off. Uh, for the Canes and the Irish here on QAM. Let me talk to you for a moment about new Buicks and GMCs, which are arriving every single day at Williamson Buick GMC. And during the holiday season, they are going to have the new Buick or GMC that you are looking for, like the new GMC Yukon. Plenty of room for the entire family. The Yukon allows you to ride in style and comfort. It will make a bold statement. Wherever you go in South Florida, you can cover work and play with the new GMC Canyon or the Sierra. These trucks feature bold styling 
styling, the latest technology, all with the toughness to get the job done. Or the Buick, how about an Encore, an Envision, an Enclave, and more. All at Williamson Buick GMC. Easy to find on US 1 at 104th Street, just south of the Palmetto. You can also go online at WilliamsonAutomotiveGroup.com. Ed Williamson and his team, they will be ready to serve you the best customer service in South Florida. And during the holidays, they're ready to go. They're ramped up and ready to go, and they are waiting for you so that it'll be a smooth and easy transaction, and you'll have a delightful holiday season. So get the most out of the South Florida lifestyle. Experience car buying like never before at Miami's premier luxury dealership, Williamson Buick GMC. Williamson is Miami. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.